Well, good evening, everyone. It is so much fun to be here with you tonight. You know, I think for me, one of the the things that I get to do that I'm so thankful for is visit different churches, and I get to meet a whole bunch of new people that that uh, even though we may have never met before, we're all connected in Jesus, and that's pretty amazing. You know, just to be able to be here in this place, in this setting, and to worship our King together, it was so sweet. And during the whole time we were singing, I was just thinking, Jesus, just thank you so much for for letting us do what we do and letting us connect with people that were around in Christ. And so hopefully um, by the end of this evening, um, as we make much of Jesus Tonight, we could just walk out of this place and not only encouraged by each other, but just more importantly, more in love with Jesus than before. Amen. Now, a little bit about myself before I get into our message. Um, as was shared, I've known Jeff and Connie for a long time. In fact, I was 19 years old and I had um, left Southern California to be a missionary in Hungary. And at that time, Jeff and Connie had just moved to Austria to serve as the director of the conference center there in Milstadt. And so um, spending time together, that was the start of not only a friendship, but an enduring one. And, and I'll tell you, you know, we, we've heard it said that we all have acquaintances, but to, to have like real deep, meaningful friendships. Guys, we should always treasure those relationships. And um, over the years, just to be able to um, not only be in fellowship with Jeff and Connie, but just to also see the journey that they've been on as the Lord took them from Europe and then back to California and then the years um, that he was serving as the director at the youth camp. And at that time, after my time at... Um, in, in Europe, um, I had gone back to Southern California and I, and I served in the high school ministry at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa there in the early 90s. And so that just reconnected Jeff and Connie and myself again with all those high school camps. And then through the years, um, that, that just as the friendship and ministry opportunities continue to endure, um, then I, I ended up uh, leaving for England in 1994 to help with a church plant there. And then from there, I moved on to San Diego and served as the youth, pa- youth pastor there. And then um, at the ripe old age of 23, moved up to Oregon to go plant my first church and pastored up in Oregon um, for a season. And then the Lord did the craziest thing. Um, in 2001, the Lord called me to Brazil. And and so I left officially in 2002, and I um, lived for 10 years, planted three churches and pastored those three churches for 10 years in Brazil. And during that time, it was just so much fun that, that Jeff ended up partnering with us in Brazil. And so Jeff started coming down to Brazil, and just that relationship, just continuing all those years of ministry. And then in 2012, the Lord brought my family and I back to Southern California. It was such a privilege um, to be asked again by Pastor Chuck and Pastor Brian to, to uh, come back to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And so that's where I've been. 
Um, since 2012, um, I first, when I landed there, served as the Bible College Director there at the Costa Mesa campus, and then um, more recently, um, I get to be the director of the pastor school, and just to see this new and next generation of men being trained to go and plant churches and pastor people like Jesus. And so, um, I'm just so thankful, because all, all that the Lord has um, allowed me to see and to be a part of is grace. And remember there in Zechariah 4 when it talks about the rebuilding of that second temple, that when the final capstone is put into it, that all the people are going to be shouting, grace, grace. And that's how I feel about my life. Um, Just a story of grace. And again, just thinking about my friendship with Jeff and Connie, just a story of grace. And But one thing that your pastor told me is that um, not only is this church, and, and one of the things, you've got to understand that Calvary Chapel South Bay is known all over the place. And one of the things that makes this church so beautiful is just the multiculturalness of this fellowship. And Jeff said to me, oh man, I can't wait for you to be worshiping with the people at our church. It's going to be like a taste of heaven at our church. And so... Um, it was just so sweet, and uh, but he said, but John, we've got Brazilians at our church. Do we have Brazilians here tonight? Where are the Brazilians? <laughs> Do we have any Brazilians here tonight? Nobody? What a letdown. <laughs> like I had all planned out, all the cool Portuguese I was going to start showing off, and I was a fala. <laughs> well, anyways, it's such a joy to be here with you. But it's not about me. It's not about Calvary Chapel South Bay. It's not about Pastor Jeff tonight. We're here to make much of Jesus. So let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 4, book number 4, or excuse me, John chapter 12, book number 4 of the New Testament. John chapter 12. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to start by reading um, verses 1 through um, eight, and then we'll pray, and then I'm just going to focus in on one verse, which is verse three tonight. So John chapter 12, most of us are already familiar with this story. Some of you, you're going to hear it for the first time. It's a great story, but let's start by reading verses one through eight, and then we'll pray, and then we'll spend the rest of our time in verse three. Now John writes, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This, he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Let's pray. Father, again, we just want to thank you for the Bible. Lord, we believe that it is the Word of God. 
We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Lord, we, we welcome him and we honor him and we worship him as God. And we thank you that it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit who brings clarity, understanding of your word. And we thank you that not only does he help us understand the meaning of your word, but he also empowers us to obey them. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending to us a deliverer, a great savior. And Lord, tonight we're here because we love him and we want to worship him. And we thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for each and every person that's here and every person that might be watching via the internet or they're going to stumble across this message in the future online. We just pray, Lord, that you'll bless and encourage every person. For those that don't know Jesus, we pray that tonight they will see a Jesus that is worth believing in, worth loving, and that they would give their hearts to Christ. And for all of us who do love Jesus, Lord, that our love for you would only go deeper and grow more fervent. And we thank you for Pastor Jeff, and we thank you for Connie, and we do pray that you'll bless and refresh them tonight. And we just thank you, and we're expecting, Lord, we're just super excited to see all that you're going to do in this place and in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the scripture for this message, as I mentioned, is John chapter 12, verse 3. Just one verse. Let me read it to you again. Verse 3, we read, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now, I hope you can see in this scripture that the subject of this verse is worship. The subject is worship because that is what's happening here in John chapter 12, verse 3. And we all know what worship is, right? Worship is our response to all that God is and to all that God does. It's our expression of love and adoration to God. And what we see here in this one verse in John chapter 12 is an example that is given to us this person who is at the feet of Jesus doing what every Christian should be doing on an ongoing regular basis. And that is this thing called worship. And so that's what I want us to talk about this evening. I want us to learn something about worship from this verse, and there's a couple of ways that I want to approach our time together this evening. The first thing is I want to share with you five observations that we can draw out from John chapter 12, verse 3, and then we want to wrap up our time together this evening by drawing out nine applications that are practical for life and ministry, that are practical for how we worship God on a day-to-day basis. So here we go. Number one, let's look at the five observations that we can draw out from this scene in John chapter 12, verse 3. And the first observation is this. I want you to see the person who is worshiping. See the person who's worshiping. John tells us that it's a woman named 
Mary. Now, you guys that are students of the New Testament, you know that in the gospel narrative of the life and ministry of Christ, that there is more than one woman named Mary. For example, there's Mary, the mother of Jesus, and there's Mary um, Magdalene. Now, because there are so many Marys in the gospel, the gospel writers, wanting to be specific and wanting to avoid confusion, they identify this Mary, this Mary that we're reading about here in John chapter 12, verse 3, as Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And one thing that you need to understand about this Mary is every time we see her show up in the Bible, we find her at the feet of Jesus. Every single time. This Mary is at the feet of Jesus. I mean, just think about it. Remember when Jesus went to Bethany just to visit his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? And you remember the scene, Martha was in the kitchen. You know, she had her apron on and she had her rolling pin in hand and I could imagine flour in her hair and on her face and, and she's coming out with the kneading bowl and she sees Mary there at the feet of Jesus and she was frustrated and, and she, in fact, she even wanted to bring Jesus into the whole scene and say, Jesus, will you tell my sister to get up and help me in the kitchen? But you remember that in that scene, in Luke chapter 10, verse 39, we read that this Martha had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So in those happy moments, in those happy times with Jesus, Mary was at the feet of Jesus. But you know what? That wasn't the only time you would find her there. Remember when her brother Lazarus had died? And Jesus was coming to minister to Lazarus' family, namely Martha and Mary. And before Jesus even entered into this village called Bethany, we read in John chapter 11, verse 32, when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down. I think the idea is she collapsed. She fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And this scene was so moving. You remember, then follows the shortest verse of the Bible, Jesus wept. So in happy times, she was there at the feet of Jesus, even in the most painful and difficult times in life. You found her at the feet of Jesus. And now here in John chapter 12, verse 3, where do we see this Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha and Lazarus? Right there at the feet of Jesus at this dinner that was prepared in honor for him. Here's what I want us to see, and that is that Mary expresses the heart of worship. In fact, her life is associated with worshiping Jesus. Worshiping Jesus is what she is known for. This was her reputation. In fact, before the scene of John chapter 12, verse 3, in John chapter 11, John wanting us to understand which Mary he was talking about, he wrote this, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Check it out. 
It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Well, that hadn't even happened yet. That happens in the following chapter. But by this time in the early church, when people were talking about Mary, whenever they were talking about this Mary, everyone referred to her as the one who anointed the feet of Jesus, the one who loved Jesus so much that she was at his feet and worshipped him. What a great reputation to have. You know, you meet up with your friends at at the local Starbucks or Pete's or your favorite coffee shop and you're talking about the different happenings and during the day and, and Mary comes up and, and you say, did you hear about Mary? Which Mary? You know, Mary, the one who's always at the feet of Jesus. Which Mary? You know, the one who anointed the feet of Jesus, the Mary that loves Jesus, the one that worships Jesus. What a great reputation to have. That is what she was known for. This is the Mary that we're learning about. Number two, second observation. I want you to see the way she worships. There in verse three, we read that Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So she comes with this stuff called spikenard. Now, spikenard was a fragrant oil. It was a perfume and And this spikenard, it was this oil that was extracted from the root of a plant that was grown in India. So this stuff is exotic. In fact, the English Standard Version speaks of it as ointment made from pure nard. Or in other words, John is wanting us to understand that this is the best quality of spikenard. In fact, it was so valuable, Mark chapter 14 verse 3 tells us that it was kept in an alabaster flask. In fact, John goes on to tell us that this perfume was very costly. And I'll tell you what, that's an understatement because as we read earlier in chapter 12, verse five, we see that this oil could have been sold for 300 denarii. Guys, that is equivalent to one year's wage. I mean, could you imagine starting in January, saving every one of your paychecks so that on December 31st, you can go to the, the local perfume shop and buy one bottle of perfume? That's how expensive this stuff called spikenard was. In fact, it was probably her dowry. It was probably the most valuable thing that she owned. And she was keeping it, saving it for her future husband. Number three, see the object of her worship. I want you to check out who received her worship. We read that Mary anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet. Now, Matthew and Mark, those Gospels also tell us the same story, but they tell us that Mary anointed the head of Jesus. And now here in John chapter 12, verse 3, we see that Mary anoints the feet of Jesus. In other words, from head to toe, Mary's object of worship was completely Jesus. There was no mistake on whom that precious, that very costly perfume was going to be spent. It was going to be all on Jesus. So the who is Mary. 
The way she worshipped was she dumped all this spikenard on Jesus, this valuable perfume. The object is all of Jesus from head to toe. And number four, check out the result of her worship. There in verse 3, it says, And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. I love this scene. Listen, the presence of Jesus was filled with a pleasant fragrance. In fact, John tells us that Mary poured out a pound of this perfume. A pound is about 12 ounces of perfume. Now, you can be sure that this much perfume will fill up a whole house with its scent, and that much perfume will cause the smell to linger for a while. I mean, this is something that every woman knows. A little goes a long way. And this is something that men, we need to learn. A little perfume goes a long way. I've been around some guys, it's like, they don't understand that. It's like half the bottle is gone on the first, you know, usage. But women... You understand that a little goes a long way. Now, try to imagine dumping 12 ounces of perfume on someone. That smell is going to fill up the entire house, and it's going to linger around for a long time. But here's the other thing that's so cool. John tells us that Mary wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. As she anointed the head and the feet of Jesus with this perfume, then she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. You know what? She walked away smelling just like Jesus. Mary walked away smelling like Jesus. Listen, this was sacred transfer. I think of my Brazilian father-in-law. I know when my kids have been with their grandfather because they smell just like him because of the amount of cologne that he uses. There is a sacred transfer that has happened from grandpa to grandkids. And they don't have to tell me they've been with grandpa. I know they've been with grandpa because they smell like him. Now, here's Mary. I can only imagine her going back into the kitchen and Martha saying, Mary, where have you been? Where where have you been? You you smell like Jesus. And she's serving the hors d'oeuvres, going to the disciples, and the disciples saying, Mary, you smell like Jesus. Where have you been? Oh, I've been at his feet. I've been hanging out there. Number five, I want you to check out the legacy of her worship. The legacy of her worship. In Mark chapter 14, verse 9, In Mark chapter 14, verse 9, again, this is the same story, but Mark tells us something that happens. Jesus, speaking about what Mary did for him, says, Assuredly, I say to you, speaking to his disciples, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, listen, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. That's big. I mean, think about what Jesus is saying. Think about the gospel, the gospel, God, the maker of heaven and earth, God, who made humanity. He comes to rescue sinful humanity, and he he comes, and he is 
born by a, through a virgin and God becomes a man of flesh and blood and he lives among us and he ministers among us and he lives a sinless life and he's teaching the kingdom of God and he's ministering to people and then in order to save us he goes and he voluntarily offers up his life to suffer and die on a cross and while he's there hanging on that cross he becomes our sin and God pours out his wrath on Jesus punishing our sins in his body and Jesus absorbs the wrath of God and he pays the price of our redemption and he completes the work of our salvation and he dies and he's buried and three days later he rises again from the dead and 40 days later he goes to heaven and he's forever our high priest interceding for us and he says whoever believes in him will never perish and will live forever and that's the gospel and attached to all of that is this story. How big is this moment right now in John chapter 12, verse 3, that here's this woman, she's not thinking that. She's not walking into this scene thinking, oh, if I do this, oh man, my name's going to be in the the Bible and and I'm going to be like some big name in in church history. She's not thinking that. All she's thinking is, I just want to love Jesus right now. But that moment to Jesus was so Big Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to take this story and I'm going to attach it to the gospel narrative. That wherever people are going to be talking about the gospel, they're going to be talking about this one moment right here. Wow. Are you getting, this, are you getting the, the size of this moment? Well, those were the observations. But what does all this mean to us? Because it's got to mean something. Because every single one of us In about a half an hour or so, we're all going to walk out those doors and we're going to walk out. And I love that big sign as you're walking out that says you're now entering into the mission field. Gosh, that's the world that we're going to be living out all this stuff in. All the stuff that we learn week in and week out here in this church, it's out there that we live it out real time. So what does this story mean for us? So glad you asked. Let me give you nine applications that we could learn from this story. Number one, worship involves brokenness. Worship involves brokenness. In Mark chapter 14, verse 3, again, the same story, but from Mark's perspective, we read there in Mark 14, 3, that Mary broke the flask. Mary broke the flask. I want you to think about this. Before Mary poured the oil, before she anointed Jesus, before she wiped Jesus' feet with her hair, there was the sound of a shattering. There was the sound of a breaking. This is where her worship began. If the alabaster flask didn't break, then John chapter 12 would have moved from verse 2 right into verse 9 without verses 3 through 8 because there would have been no oil that had been poured out. There would have been no expression of worship that would have happened. There would have been no portrait of a worshiper that's given for us had that alabaster flask not broken. 
Listen, brokenness is the essential ingredient in worship. The breaking of the flask, it illustrates our brokenness in the act of worship towards Jesus. Guys, listen, the flask was just the container. There was nothing special about that flask. But what was unleashed when that flask was broken was the treasure. It was the perfume that was on the inside. And in the same way, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 tells us that we're containers, that we're jars of clay, and we contain God's treasure, namely the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Guys, when we gather to worship the Lord, we want there to be glory in this room, right? Man, we just want to be with other believers and we want there to be a sense of glory that happens in worship. And when we go out to our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods, our home, we just want glory to be revealed. And listen, that glory, according to 2 Corinthians, is contained in you and me. But as long as the container makes much of self and not of Christ, that glory will not be seen. The only way that that glory, the glory of God's beauty and gospel is going to be seen is when we get out of the way. And the only way that we get out of the way is through the process of brokenness. In brokenness, the treasure is displayed and it diffuses a sweet fragrance because brokenness is the right attitude in pure worship because that's what God wants. In Psalm 51 verse 17, the psalmist got it right when he said the sacrifices of God, you want to know what God wants? You want to know what those acceptable sacrifices of praise and worship is? Here it is. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite or a crushed heart. These, O God, you will not despise. It's amazing. Later in the book of Amos, God tells the people, I despise the sound of your music. I despise the sound of your instruments. I despise the sound of your worship services because it was full of hypocrisy. It wasn't true. That kind of stuff, God is ready to despise. But here in Psalm 51, it says, but if you come and your worship is brokenness, brokenness isn't just the means to get to worship. Brokenness is the worship. When you just come and you just say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I am nothing without you. Lord, I am helpless without you. That is a worship that God says, I will never despise. Sometimes we just think that worship is just lifting our hands and singing, and we neglect to understand that it's brokenness that God accepts as worship. This humility... Humility is not you feeling just low about yourself. You know, the Eeyore syndrome, just walking around, just wondering why the tail that is attached to your behind has to be pinned there. And so people are just, oh, I'm just being humble. 
Listen, humility is simply you knowing who you are in Jesus and living like it. That's humility. Because what's pride? Pride is you acting like something you're not. Pride is deceitful. Pride is you saying, I'm something more or something less than what I really am. So you even, you even like, you know, just having this false sense of humility, that's pride too, because you just want people to think, oh, how humble you are. Listen, humility is you just saying, you know, I know who I am in Jesus. I am a stinking sinner saved by grace, but Jesus loves me, and I'm going to heaven, and I'm, I'm forgiven. You know, I'm going to live like that. That is humility. And God says, I will never despise that worship. And that's the way he wants us to gather in this place, in this house, and at home, wherever we are. Whenever we're going to worship the Lord, we don't come with hypocrisy. We come with this, I know who I am in Jesus. And you know what? I'm just going to love on Jesus as I am. Because Jesus is everything. And I'm nothing without him. Second, worship is expensive. Worship is expensive. We read that Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard. I'll tell you, the word cheap cannot be applied to Mary's act of worship, right? In fact, what we see here in John chapter 12, verse 3, is that she exemplifies extravagant worship. Extravagant means to go beyond usual bounds. It means to be unrestrained. Mary did not want to give Jesus cheap worship. Now, the opposite of Mary's worship is what we find in the book of Malachi in chapter 1. Remember that story in Malachi 1, verses 13 and 14, as God is rebuking the nation of Israel for their hypocrisy. And he, he brings up something that was happening in the worship services of the Jews of the day. That when it was time to worship, you had a bunch of people that are thinking, oh, I got to go worship again. I got to go to the temple again. Not only is that inconvenient, but it's also costly for me because I got to go and pick out another animal from my livestock. again. I got to pick out the best. This is killing me. And so you go and you're going through and you pick out your animal and you put it on your shoulder and you're walking and you're complaining and grumbling the whole time. But on your way to church, you see roadkill. There's a dead animal on the road. Then you start doing the math. All right. I got this really expensive animal and I'm going to give it to the priest and the priest is just going to thrust a knife into it and kill it and then burn it. Or... I can take this back. I don't have to lose money. I can just pick up this roadkill, take it, offer it to the priest. Hey, the animal's going to be dead, right? And I just happen to do it, find an animal that's already dead and they'll light it on fire. And, and so the guy puts his animal back and he picks up this roadkill and he goes to the temple and he gives it to the priest and the priest sets it on fire and the smoke is rising and the, and the whole time you got your hands raised up and you're saying, oh Lord, I love you. I give you everything. And the Lord said through the prophet Malachi, do you think I don't know what you're doing? Do you think, you don't, do you think that I don't know the difference between an acceptable sacrifice and roadkill? He said, am I not a king? And do I not deserve something better than this? 
And yet, how often? How often? Oh, it's Sunday again. I got to go to church because that's the Christian thing to do. This is super inconvenient. I got, oh man, they're going to be asking me to volunteer my time and they're going to be passing around that bag again and then they got they got to do that bake sale and and I don't want to look like the jerk not not buying rice crispy bars to go support an orphan at an orphanage and and all of a sudden there's this thing in your heart where you just feel like everything's inconvenient and and then all of a sudden you start calculating you start doing the math and you start cutting the losses and you start thinking, okay, what can I do to make this more advantageous for me where I just give God the leftovers? Have you ever done that? I'll tell you, I confess, I've done that before. Where I start doing the math in my head and everything. It's like I, I, I take a mental calculator with me to church every time and I start thinking, is this worship, singing, is that really worth my time or is it not worth my time? Well, you know what? To me, it's really not worth my time. So Pastor Jeff doesn't really preach until such and such a time. So you know what? That still gives me some time because they'll still be singing the third song at that time. So if I can make it to church by song number four, calculating, calculating with finances, calculating with volunteer time. Because what we think is, Jesus, you're deserving of my leftovers. No, guys. Jesus is deserving of costly worship because he is a great king. And there is nothing that we have that we didn't receive from him. Listen, I think the greatest demonstration of what we give to God is ourselves. When people ask me to define worship, my favorite place to take them is Romans 12.1, where Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Listen, that's worship. If you think that worship is just singing songs and your perspective of worship is way too small. Worship happens when you just say, Jesus, all of this, it's all yours. So whatever that's going to look like today, Jesus, that's my worship to you. And I just love the fact that you guys are here on a Thursday night when you could be doing a hundred other things right now. And you know what? Do you understand you sitting there, even though you're not singing a song right now, even though you don't have your hands raised right now, the fact that you're here wanting to just grow in your relationship with Jesus, God is saying, I receive that as worship right now. How awesome is that? Number three, worship is active. Worship is active. We see that Mary anointed. We see that she wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. Listen, these are verbs. These are action words. In other words, our worship of God should never be described as being passive. Instead, it should be active. Will you please get that our worship of God should never be described as both emotionless and motionless? It's amazing how 
I've been in, in, in different churches, not a lot, but there have been some that I've gone in, and the way that some people are there occupying space during the worship time, it's almost like they're just existing there. And if, if I was to... If I was to conclude something about God from the way that some people worship, I would think, man, God is super boring. <laughs> I mean, isn't that the way that some people think about heaven? Like some people, they think, well, I don't want to go to hell because I don't want to be in torment forever. But I don't want to go to heaven because I don't want to be bored forever. But heaven is better than hell, so I'm going to try to live as much life on earth as I can and just prepare myself for forever boredom. Because they, in their mind, they're thinking heaven. I mean, the way that we talk about, oh, man, we're going to be worshiping the Lord forever. And they're thinking, so you're telling me heaven is going to be just one endless church service? <laughs> so forever? It's going to be like, like church Forever? And, and depending upon what, which church they're a part of, they're thinking, I can't, I can't, I can't even, I can't think about that right now. I just want to live as much as I can on earth as I possibly can. Because in their mind, they're thinking that God is boring. But here's the deal. If your God is a boring God, if your God does not move you to real, authentic, vertical worship that also impacts your horizontal relationships with one another, then listen, you have invented a God in your imagination that doesn't exist. Because you understand there is no such thing in heaven as a boring God. Like angels don't show up to the throne room of God and say, holy, holy, holy again. Come on. I mean, it's just, we have been doing this for ages. They're not thinking that. But every time they're saying, holy, 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 because God is so big, in their worship, it's as if they are saying those words for the very first time, every time. And guys, you understand that when you embrace a boring God, a God that has been created in the imaginations of fallen humanity, that is the crime of idolatry because you have now embraced a God that does not exist. Man, going deep with Jesus, it, it does something to us. Like it just, I mean, there, there's a wide spectrum of, like, emotional, um, you know, makeup here in this room. Some people are super excited. I, I used to not be this way until I lived in Brazil. Then I came back, just this. <laughs> and, but I'll tell you, I, I, I'm just, I meet people that are just super excited like this. And then there's other people that their, their passion is so deep and so real and so authentic, but it's not really all the, the outward emotion. But you could just tell that person and just their soft-spokenness is so deeply passionate about King Jesus. Wherever you fit on that scale, let that emotion and motion be authentic because Jesus is worthy of it. It's active. So whether you're singing or praying or serving, 
Let all that be done with just real, authentic Jesus. I'm giving it my all because this is all for you. Number four, we see that worship fills the presence of God with the aroma that pleases God. We see that the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Remember back in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 2, we read that, and the priest shall burn the, the offering, the sacrifice, as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, it says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. In other words, in the Old Testament, we, we see as, as, as worship was happening there at the altar and the sacrifice, the offering was being burned, that, that the smoke was rising and there was this, this fragrant aroma that was arising to God. But in the New Testament, we see that what was happening there at the altar is supposed to be happening from our mouths as we're worshiping the Lord. And, and it's supposed to smell like this sweet aroma of barbecue. I'm so glad God loves barbecues. In the Old Testament, he's like, listen, I want you to offer to me these animals. I want you to butcher it the right way, and I want you to burn it the right way. And and as people would be there at the tabernacle or in the temple, it was the smell of a good barbecue. Guys, the Lord loves the fragrance that happens when there's real authentic worship that is being given to him. Number five, when we worship God, we take on the same fragrance of the one that we're worshiping. Just like we saw with Mary, that as Mary wiped Jesus' feet with her hair, there was that sacred transfer. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 14 and 15. He said, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place for we are to God the fragrance of Christ. Do you know people like this? Every time you hang out with them, every time you see them, every time you're with them, you just walk away thinking, you know, I just want to love Jesus more. Because of that person. Every time you're with them, you just love being with them because they give you so much of Jesus. But that's not supposed to be the other guy. That's supposed to be you and me. But that's not something we manufacture. It's not something that we manipulate to happen in our lives. You know how you become that person? By just loving on Jesus. By just taking time out every day to say, Jesus, you matter. And I'm just going to love on you. And you know what? By you just loving on Jesus, people are going to take note and they're going to say, I want to hang out with that guy. I want to hang out with that girl because that person always leads me to Jesus. They smell like Jesus. Worship's a big deal. Number six, when we worship God, we give him glory. Again, we see that Mary wiped his feet with her hair. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 15, Paul wrote that a woman's hair is her glory. In fact, in the times of Jesus, a woman would keep her hair bound up. The only time 
she would let her hair down for another man was on her wedding night. So this was a big deal for this woman, Mary, in public to do something that otherwise would have been considered scandalous. She loosened her hair and let it down for Jesus. Because Jesus is worthy of this. Jesus is worthy of Mary's hair being let down at his feet because that was her way of giving Jesus glory. It also reminds me of the scene there in Revelation 4 with the 24 elders that night and day we see them falling down before the one who's on the throne, casting their crowns at his feet, giving him glory. And so we get it, right? Psalm 115, verse 1, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name. To your name give glory. So we're here to give glory to Jesus. But that's not going to happen unless, like we learned, brokenness first takes place. Number seven, the object of our worship must be Jesus. As we mentioned earlier in Mark 14, verse 3, we see that the head of Jesus was anointed. Now here in John 12, 3, we see the feet of Jesus are anointed. In other words, Jesus is supposed to be completely in full the object of our worship. Guys, I am not, you are not, the object of worship. The chief end of worship is not what it will do for me. Sometimes we can walk into a worship service and we're asking the questions, will it profit me with stuff? In other words, what am I going to get out of this? Or will it promote my status? Who's going to see me worship? It's kind of like prayer, right? Question, think about the way you pray in public. Do you pray that way when you're alone with Jesus? Man, I get nailed every time thinking about that. Because in public, I, oh, Lord, you're awesome. Lord, I just think about, and I'll list off 10 scriptures, and I'll get into the Greek, and then I'll start doing some church history, and then I'll do all this stuff, amen, but then it's mealtime three times a day, and, I'm, and like my brain is half engaged. Lord, thank you for this food in Jesus' name, amen. Because I'm just saying I just want to eat. I don't want praying. I'm just going through the routine. But if I'm having lunch with friends, oh, Lord, thank you so much for this food. This food's just awesome. You provided this great food. Lord, thank you for the cow that you created that is now on my plate. Thank you for all. Just, you're awesome, Lord. Or I'm by myself. Just, Lord, thank you for the food. Amen. Well, what about our worship? Too often we think of what worship is going to do for us. But listen, Jesus is the object of worship. What are we giving to him? That should matter. So the way that we come to church means that we don't start worshiping the moment we walk in and the band starts playing. It means that we should already be worshiping before we walk through those doors. And as the band begins to play, you know what? We're just picking up where we left off from the car to here. Because Jesus gets everything, not the leftovers. He gets everything because he's our king. He's our God. He's worthy of it. Number eight. Oh, by the way, I can't pass this by talking about the subject of worship. 
guys, when we worship the Lord, let's make sure that there is truth in our hearts. I love what A.W. Tozer, some of you guys know who A.W. Tozer is. He was a pastor at, at Moody Bible Church in Chicago in the 20th century and just um, became a, I really had a prophetic voice in the 20th century and wrote some great books. His classic, um, The Pursuit of God. But Tozer was known for making some pretty radical statements, like convicting statements. And one of those statements he said was, you know, Christians don't tell lies, they just sing them in church. Ouch, right? That's what happens when Jesus isn't the object of your worship. But when Jesus is, that's when worship is authentic. Number eight, when we worship, we serve God. In John twelve seven, you remember Jesus said concerning Mary's worship, let her alone because she has kept this for the day of my burial. Listen, there is a connection between the something and someone you worship and the something and someone that you're going to serve. If you worship God, service will follow. Do not compartmentalize the two. If you're serving something else, then you're not going to esteem God because you're going to esteem something else and you're going to be serving that. So again, I think that sometimes we we make service to God something more complicated than it's supposed to be. You know, it's kind of like, I remember I I was out for a run with this guy and this was kind of when I I was actually trying to get fit and... Running was just this painful thing, and so this one guy wanted to help me get into this rhythm of running, but he would take me on these gnarly hills, and, and he, would, he would be yelling at me, and this guy, like a big guy, you know, and, and he'd be like looking over at me, and he's like this massive bulldog, and I'm like this chihuahua trying to keep up with him, and he's like... Keep it up, man. Swing those arms. Swing those arms. Because wherever your arms go, your feet will follow. Swing those arms. And I'm like, yes, sir. And I'm just, my arms are way out there. And, and, and it really does help. If, if you're going up a hill and you're having a tough time running up that hill, swing your arms out wide. Because as you, wherever your arms are swinging, your feet are going to follow. Same is true with service. Too often, we get way legalistic about our service because we think about it as rules and regulations. It's performance-driven. And that's why we're always critical of others. We're always comparing ourselves with others. We're always competing with others. Listen, swing those arms of worship. Because if you worship, then no one's going to have to convince you to serve Jesus. It'll happen. But if people are always saying, gosh, come on. We need more volunteers. Hurt. Volunteer. Volunteer. We need more service. We need more people to help. We need more. Listen, you can try to manufacture that, but people will get burned out. But if you just worship Jesus, then service will follow. Because the two are connected. And that's what happened with Mary. She wasn't thinking, I'm burying, or I'm preparing Jesus for burial. She was just thinking, I just want to live on Jesus right now. And by doing that, service followed, right? One last thought, we're done. Because I've got my precious two minutes left. <laughs> Number nine, and I love this one. God remembers our worship. Again, going back to Mark fourteen nine, it says, Assuredly, I say to you, 
Wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Listen, if this verse would have said, because Mary went to 10 different nations and proclaimed the gospel and 20,000 people were converted to Jesus, that's, what, that's why she's going to be remembered forever. I would be a bit discouraged. I would, I would feel a bit disconnected from this story and say, well, that's cool for Mary, but that's not my reality. Or if it said, Mary's going to be remembered forever because God used her to do some pretty amazing miracles, like people coming back to, to life after they had been dead or, you know, people that were blind, they can now see. I would think, well, that's cool for Mary, but that doesn't apply to me. But listen, why is Mary said that she's going to be remembered forever? Because she worshiped Jesus. She what? That's all she did? She worshiped Jesus. And Jesus is saying she's going to be remembered for that forever? I can do that. That's pretty cool. I can worship Jesus. I can do the same thing that Mary did. And Jesus is saying, hey, because of what Mary did, what she did is going to be remembered forever. And the same is applied for you and me. Hey, we can all do what Mary did. We can all do that. One thing that Jesus will say is so precious to me, I will never forget it throughout all of eternity. I will remember it forever. When was the last time you thought, the last time you were here at church, you came with a heart full of love for Jesus, thinking, you know what? Me being here at Calvary Chapel South Bay tonight? So cool. Jesus loves us so much, he will never forget me being here tonight. He's going to remember this forever. How cool is that? You are doing something that Jesus will never forget. And we get to do this often. Because Jesus is that big. And he's that glorious. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the truth of Jesus. And we just thank you so much for the privilege of worship. I just thank you so much for this community of believers. So Lord, just even hearing the instruments being played right now, it's just signaling that we're going to be able to dive into just singing another song where we can apply the things that we have just spent the last hour learning. I just pray, God, that you would be honored in it, that you would be glorified in it, that you would be made much of in it, that you would be loved on in it. And we know that when we approach you this way, not only are you glorified, but we're changed. So we're asking for greater change in our life. We want there to be more of the aroma of Jesus on us as a result of being at your feet. We want more of that glow of the light of Christ beaming from our face, reflecting off of our faces. Because we know that when we go out into the world like that, that's when the world is going to take notice and say, tell me about this Jesus that you love so much this Jesus that is so beautiful to you because what I see in your life what you're reflecting to me is a beautiful Jesus 
And even in our evangelism, let it be worship. Lord, whenever we're sharing the gospel with people, we pray that people would just be blown away by our Jesus simply because we're bragging about him in worship. Bragging about the living Jesus. Bragging about the Jesus who died for the world and rose again from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the Father and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, let worship happen in our response time as people who feel a heavy heart, a burdened heart, a sin-laden heart, who come up to connect with a pastor or a counselor for prayer. Lord, as they're confessing sin or as they're casting their cares upon you, meet them in their tears and meet them in their sadness. Meet them in their brokenness and accept it as worship as you said you would. And just convert the sadness into joy. And Lord, for anyone here tonight that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't know you as Lord, God, King, Lord, let their worship be coming forward and saying, I need Jesus. I need him to be my Savior. Or the backslidden Christian, the prodigal, let tonight be their worship in returning home. All this for you, Jesus. All this because you're worthy of it. As we close out this last song, and I'm going to ask you, let's just worship the Lord. But as, when the song is over, there's going to be pastors and different counselors up front. And if you fit in any one of those categories that I just prayed for, tonight is your opportunity to worship this Jesus that we've been bragging about by coming and meeting him at the foot of the cross in all your brokenness. And let Jesus shine his smile his grace, his mercy on your life tonight. And you can know as you leave tonight that you have worshipped Jesus at his feet.